Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a TNS presentation of Commonweal's 40th anniversary celebration, including recorded reflections from Michael Lerner, Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, and Oren Slosberg. Welcome to Commonweal. I'm so happy to have all of you here today. My name is Oren Slosberg, and I am the I'm Commonweal's Chief Strategy Officer. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm glad that everybody found their way here today with no street signs and without cell service and thousands of bicyclists. You have crossed over from the North American plate to the Pacific plate, and you've entered a very special land. Here, where earth and sky and ocean mingle, is a place that has generated creativity, healing, and a sense of possibility. And today we're here to celebrate a remarkable 40 years of vision, learning, and action. And you will be hearing both Michael Lerner and Rachel Naomi Remen reflecting on the story of Commonweal. You will hear a lot today about our origins and about the revolutionary work that has been done here. If you take some time and you talk to Commonweal staff and board and longtime friends that are here, You'll learn about our healing and transformative work around cancer, about our work around environmental toxins, our juvenile justice work and sustainable agriculture. You'll hear about some of our past work in California, such as Burr's work on saving the California's coast and Rachel's program, Helping Doctors to Remember that They're Healers, a program that with our blessing has graduated to a new home at Wright State University after 25 years at Commonweal. Yep. Or you'll hear about the exciting new things going on here, designed to bring the wisdom of Commonweal out to the world and to entrust it into the hands of new generation of change makers. For instance, our Regenerative Design Institute is a destination for young people in their 20s and 30s who come here to learn skills that they can take forward with them to their communities. Our Power of Hope summer camp teaches arts and activism skills to teenagers, primarily teenagers of color, from around the Bay Area. Our gatherings bring together a diverse intergenerational group of artists, thinkers, and social entrepreneurs to get to know each other, build community, and dream new futures. We are also home to Visual Thinking Strategies, a program that has used visual art and facilitated discussions to teach critical thinking and productive engagement to over a million children worldwide. Our, our, our new school hosts discussions with inspiring scientists. Many of you are here, teachers, artists, activists, and healers, and captures them on podcasts as an enduring resource. The New School's Sonoma series, which we just started, hosted an inspiring 90-minute conversation with Holly Neer just last Monday. And what else? We have Rebecca Katz's Healing Kitchen that keeps finding new ways to move wisdom about food and health into the hands of doctors, chefs, and basically anyone with a kitchen. And Kate Holcomb's Healing Yoga program makes yoga accessible to anyone in need of healing. So what is it that is happening now at Commonweal? What is changing? Well, we hear about the last 40 years. Aren't we wondering about the next 40? These are hard times we live in. We hear it. We see it. 
we feel it in our bones, everywhere we look. And maybe because of this, Michael often likens Commonweal to a medieval monastery. We are a repository of wisdom, developed, nurtured, guarded. I mean, even this building kind of looks like a vault. But with our newest programs, we're moving into a new era. And if I were to draw a metaphor from this physical space, it is not that of a vault. I would reach back to 1914, over a century ago, when Marconi established this place to house the wireless, sending messages to ships at sea. In fact, this building is still referred to as the RCA transmitting station by the National Park Service, who also happen to be our partners and landlord. Thank you, NPS. So here now, 40 years after Commonweal's emergence and a century after of planting this building on this land, we are moving from being a monastery to being once again a transmitting station. We will find new ways to transmit what we have learned, our values, our curiosity, and our commitment to healing to tomorrow's change makers. We don't always know exactly how that work will look like, what they will be doing. We don't know the new expertise that will emerge in response to new times and new problems, but we'll be here. And through our gatherings, our Power of Hope camp, our new school, our 5,000 member collaboration on health and the environment, the work of visual thinking strategies, RDI's permaculture skill building, our healing circles and healing programs that have built an international learning network of cancer health programs. We are launching Commonweal into the future. We are relaying what we've learned forward. By developing the potential of tomorrow's leaders, we are broadcasting wide, not knowing exactly which ships will be there to receive our transmission. And because there will be other ships as well who will be receiving that message. Five years ago, we could not have predicted what the portfolio of Commonweal programs would be today. But this organization, this community has, been to be, has proven to be nimble and adaptable. As new issues and new problems arise in our world, visionaries emerge to develop new ideas and new projects, and they will find their home here at Commonweal. So let me welcome you to this monastery this keeper of hidden wisdom, and to this transmitting station, which will bounce that wisdom into tomorrow. And now I have the honor to introduce you to one of those visionaries. Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen was one of the founders of the Cancer Health Program and the founder of ISHI, the Institute for Study of Health and Illness, which is the container that holds the Healer's Art Training, which is now offered in over 90 medical schools internationally. She's the author of two best-selling books, Kitchen Table Wisdom and My Grandfather's Blessings. And just today, a graduate of the Cancer Health Program was telling me how each time when he opens that book, Kitchen Table Wisdom, something new emerges. The four, that book has been translated to over 23 languages and sold over a million copies. Please welcome my friend and teacher, Rachel. I've been asked to say a few words about Commonweal. 
Um, and let me start by saying something about the land. Now, this is a very special piece of land. Um, we're very fortunate to be here. It was believed to be a chakra on the face of the earth, a doorway between what is present and what is future. Long before these buildings were built here, the Indians believed that. So we have been in keeping with the nature of the land here. And um, I don't think of Commonweal as a group of programs. I mean, it's often very impressive when we list our programs and the reach that they have into many different levels of society. I think of Commonweal as a process, a process which enables the future to become real, real. And you know, the future is very rarely recognized by the majority of people. In a crowd of thousands, the future has usually spoken to one or two people, and they're usually odd people, <laughs> people who don't fit into the present very well, people who set things up in their garage <laughs> or in a dorm room when they're cutting class, people who will create a world of greater connectivity, people who in many ways earn the criticism and ridicule of the majority. And often there are people who don't know how to run spreadsheets <laughs> and create budgets and do the things that the majority can do to create whatever it is that they are creating. And Commonweal has created a place of safety for such people to follow the ways in which the future has spoken to them. And it has created a community of support for that process, for that process. And, you know, most programs come about because an organization has an idea, it would be a good idea if we had such a program, and then you hire people to staff that program. And that's never the way a Commonweal program has happened. A Commonweal program has emerged from the people who came, from their, the way that the future has spoken to them. And the people are the cause of the program. They have not been hired to run the program. They've been born to run it, if you want to think of it that way. They've been attracted to um, the land, to the portal that they sense may be here, and the manifestation of this portal, which are these buildings. Okay. Um, I think I can make this real for people by simply talking about myself and my own history, how I came here and what happened, right? 
Um, I remember, you know, I used to ask people, how did you meet your husband or wife? And I'd collect all these stories, you know, fate and, you know, purpose that brought people together. And often they were mysterious stories. So I want to tell you the story by which I met Commonwealth, right? I had been invited by a friend, uh, Ken Pelletier, who told me he had a donor, a very, very rich dentist who wanted to do something, and he wasn't quite sure, but it had something to do with medicine. And would I be willing to come to lunch with a group of other people and talk to this man uh, to help Ken in his process of uh, raising money, right? And I said, sure. So I walk into this little restaurant in San Francisco. There's a table full of people. I don't know any of them other than Ken. And I sit down, and I turn to the person next to me, and I say, hello, I'm Naomi Remen. And he says, hello, I'm Michael Lerner. <laughs> now, at that time, I was an outlier in medicine. I was... Um, a crazy person. I had very strange ideas, which I had to keep to myself because my professional credibility would be imperiled by them. But the ideas that I had, because of my own life experience of chronic illness, which began when I was 16, was that um, healing was the center of medicine, not cure. And that um, it's something that's hidden in us all, that we needed to study healing, we needed to understand healing, that without healing, science and technique could do nothing, that science and technique engaged healing, and that we needed to study how to strengthen healing in people, how they could strengthen it in themselves, and this was a very strange idea. And somehow I started talking to Michael about it. And he began talking to me about his ideas about healing. And we were having a wonderful conversation. And then we looked up and we were alone at the table. <laughs> lunch had been ordered, lunch had been served. We missed the whole thing. <laughs> And so, you know, the question is then, what happened? What happened next? What happened for me? And I started to try and write about this, the process that happened for me. And then I realized I had something better than that. I had a poem that was given to me by a friend, um, which captures exactly what happened for me. So I'd like to read it to you. It's called... Loving the Odd Child. The everyday child needs socks and sandwiches, her hair combed, yes, and time to play, people to love. The everyday child needs constant care from you, so keep her warm and kindly sheltered, nourished and held. But it's caring for the odd one which makes us whole again after long confusions, blundering, and wishing she was normal. 
Love that little odd child and you will flower in unexpected ways, veering off the path that others gave you to carve new and tender territory in the mysterious dark wood. Give that odd child what she needs, a softer lamplight all day at the zoo, art supplies for breakfast, and an early exit from the loud party. Maybe she wants things you think are strange, but just believe in her. Let her hold those tiny tree frogs. Let her climb down off your lap to gather strange objects, her weird collections, her need for books, her fear of people crushing plants, her awkward dislike of your friends, her terribly low pain threshold. Gather each of these up in turn and kiss them, and then put them down in front of her, loved. This is the new path, taking you away from normal and towards yourself, towards the life you deeply long for, towards the odd work, the odd lover, the odd house. You were afraid if you gave in to her, there'd be no end to it. And that is true, for the odd child is a wild and tempting shamaness who, given an inch, will rise up dancing and gather you into her arms and sing her throaty off-key melodies as she winds her way through the wood and steps into her odd place in the bright and peopled world. There she will shift the balance in some small and significant way that only she can understand. Having changed you so completely into yourself, that she is unafraid to reinvent the world. And that's what happened to me at Commonwealth. And it's happened to a lot of other people as well. You know, Commonwealth is a process that's based on a cosmology. Uh, we look around us and we see the shortcomings in the world and we react often with judgment, anger, um, the cosmology of common will is not that the world is broken. For me, the cosmology of common will is that the world is hidden. And there's an old Jewish story, a story of the birthday of the world that sums it up. It says, in the beginning, there was only the holy darkness. And then, at some point in the history of things, the world as we know it, the world of a thousand, thousand things, emerged as a ray of light from the holy darkness. And then, probably because this is a Jewish story, you know, there was an accident. <laughs> and the vessel holding the wholeness of the world broke open. And the wholeness of the world was scattered into a thousand, thousand, thousand sparks of wholeness, which fell into all events and all people and all organizations where they remain deeply hidden until this very day. And we, as a human race, have been born because we can uncover the hidden wholeness in everything. 
we can strengthen it, feed it, lift it up, make it visible again, and thereby heal the world back into its original wholeness. The world is not broken. The world is hidden. And that requires a very different kind of approach. Now, when I was four, my grandfather wanted me to understand that the hidden wholeness of the world was in relationship to me personally, that there was something personal in my relationship with this hiddenness, the wholeness hidden in the world. And I was four, so this was a tough message, right? And he delivered it by giving me a little paper cup full of dirt. I lived in the top floor of a New York City tenement house. Uh, I had no idea about dirt, you know, <laughs> other than I was supposed to avoid it, right? But he took me into the kitchen of our apartment, and he put a little water on the dirt, and he said, Nishumala, if you put a little water in the cup every day, something can happen. Well, I had no idea what could happen if you put water on dirt in a little cup. But I love Grandpa, and I told him I'd do it. So the first week was fine. I was waiting for something to happen, and nothing happened. Second week got harder, and uh, I began to, to, to worry, you know, uh, maybe I was doing this wrong. And when Grandpa came to see me at the end of the second, I tried to give the cup back to him, but he wouldn't take it. He said, something can happen, Nishuma. And the third week was hard. I would forget. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night and remember that I hadn't watered the cup. And remember, I'm four years old. I would go in the dark into the kitchen to water the cup, you know, keeping the demons at bay all the time I was in the dark watering the cup. And halfway through the third week, one morning, there were two little green leaves in the cup that had not been there the night before. I was astounded. And I was sure my grandpa would be just as astounded. So when he came the following weekend, I showed him this. But he wasn't surprised at all. What he said to me is, life is everywhere, Nishumala. Even in the most, uh, most ordinary and unexpected places. And I was thrilled. And I said, and all it needs is, is water, Grandpa. <laughs> and he said, no, Nishumala. All it needs is for you to believe that something can happen. This is a story about Commonweal and the process of Commonweal. So I'd like to close with something Michael told me a long time ago, which he denies that he told me, but I wrote it down. <laughs> and I was looking at it this morning on this yellow piece of paper, Michael, and you had told me about a dream you had, that you were in the little house that you were living in at the time, uh, in a very, very strong wind. And the wind was shaking the little house on its foundations. And as you were worrying, because the whole house was shaking, 
a man and woman drove up in a pickup truck. And they told you, Michael, the wind is rising. The wind is rising. The wind is blowing all the ripe ones, all the ripe cherries off the cherry trees. All we need to do is gather them up. The wind is rising, right? And we are gathered up. We are commonweal. Thank you, Michael. So as we're thinking about how do we thank all the people that are here, over the last 40 years, hundreds, if not thousands, of people have made the work, the work of Commonweal real. And it started with um, Michael, who had two partners, Carolyn Brown and Burr Henneman. The three of them in 1976 um, created Commonweal, and many other people as well. Our board of directors, which Michael calls our wisdom board, has guided Commonweal and is guiding it now. Thank you for your, your commitment and your guidance for all these years. And the staff at Commonweal, some of the, some, there's a bunch of staff that have been here for over 20 years. Our staff are scattered all over the, the country. We actually have offices now on Langley, which is on Whidbey Island in Washington, as well in downtown Manhattan. There are over 40 people that are working at Commonweal. Arlene, Vanessa, Michael, and I meet once a week, and we're looking ahead at the next 40 years, and we're going to make sure that this place continues to transmit. Um, there's so much of the work that is done here is done by volunteers. I don't think I could mention all of them. There's hundreds of people, if we count the members of CHE, the Collaboration in Health Environment, there's thousands of people that are part of the, the Commonweal community, and they are all over the world. There are, every day, there's someone out there who's working on one of Commonweal's programs, if it's within the work of healing, is it the work of health and environment, or maybe in one of our summer camps. So to all those volunteers, those of you that are here, those who might be listening to the podcast, so those who may never hear us, thank you for all your commitment and all your work. We're almost done. This is the 40th, so we're going to take longer. Now I would like to introduce you to one of the few people I can call a true mentor. Michael Lerner founded Commonweal with Burr and Carolyn Brown in 1976. His commitment, wisdom, and guidance are evident in every part of Commonweal. He founded many programs, too many of them to list, such as the Cancer Health Program, the Collaboration in Health and Environment, and Healing Circles. His visions has inspired organizations around the world and in other places like the Smith Center in Washington, D.C., the Jennifer Altman Foundation, and the Health and Environment Funders Network. As all of us here know, Michael is inspiring and unforgettable. Please welcome my friend and guide, Commonweal founder, Michael Lerner.
Thank you all. Thank you. Oren, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Rachel, thank you for your beautiful, beautiful words. Um, I want to acknowledge again uh, my co-founder of Commonweal, Burr Hanneman. This place would not be here without Burr Hanneman. And, um, and he played an absolutely critical role in it. Um, he also rewrote the laws governing California's fisheries and got it through the legislature, got the governor to pass it and implemented it. So not only we, but all the fish offshore uh, thank <laughs> Burr Hanneman for uh, his work. And I also uh, want to thank my brother and uh, co-founder of Commonweal, Steve Lerner. Um, as um, <laughs> Steve has done many things at Commonweal, but for a decade, Steve was the voice, uh, along with David Steinhardt, who joined him not long after. The two of them were the voice of justice at Commonweal. They were the ones who deeply cared about uh, young people in the youth prison system of California. And Steve went on to do extraordinary work on environmental justice, uh, both in Norco, Louisiana, where he wrote a book for MIT called Diamond, The Struggle for Environmental Justice um, in Norco. And he also uh, wrote a second book that was on a whole set of similar places across the country where low-income communities of color faced uh, terrible conditions as a result of being on the fence line with toxic plants. And uh, so, um, Steve, I thank you for your partnership and our many years of work together. You're listening to Reflections from Commonweal's 40th Anniversary Celebration. I'm going to uh, start with uh, two poems and a, uh, a couple of lines from a minor prophet who lived 2,700 years ago. Uh, and these poems are known to some of you, but um, they speak to my heart. Um, some of you have heard me say them before. The first one is called The Real Work by Wendell Berry. It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. I'll read that again. It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. And the second, which many of you have heard me read, is by William Stafford, and it's called The Way It Is. And really... This connects deeply to what Rachel was saying about Commonweal, uh, because I think that's also how Commonweal has 
the process, as Rachel says, by which commonweal works. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. I'll read that one more time. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. And you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. And the line I wanted to read from a minor prophet who lived 2,700 years ago in Israel. His name was Micah, and he was a contemporary of Isaiah, and he was the first prophet to uh, prophesy the destruction of Jerusalem. He also prophesied that a great leader would come out of Bethlehem. And um, there's something, some lines of his that are known as the Micah Mandate. And some of you may know these lines. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord demands of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord demands of you, but to do justice and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Rachel has said from time to time something that for me echoes those words of Mika. And she said, and I've never forgotten this, that sometimes she thinks that perhaps the purpose of life is to grow in wisdom and to learn to love better. That perhaps the purpose of life, is to grow in wisdom and learn to love better. And what these two quotations have in common is that they each have three parts to them. In Rachel's case, it's purpose, love, and wisdom. And in Mika's case, it's justice, kindness, and walking humbly. And when you look behind those, you find that both of them are versions of what goes back at least as far as the Bhagavad Gita, which was that there were three great yogas in the Bhagavad Gita, the yoga of love, the yoga of wisdom, and the yoga of service. So you can see to do justice, which is wisdom, to love kindness, which is the yoga of love, and to walk humbly, which is the yoga of service, 
is exactly the same as those three yogas in the Bhagavad Gita, and it's the same as Rachel's, that the purpose, which is our dedication, our service of life, is to grow in wisdom and to learn to love better. And those three themes, those three yogas, really are the thread that we've tried not to let go of at Commonweal. Those three things which are not new. They're something that each of us at best remembers in our lives. That it's not something that anybody can teach us, but it's something that perhaps someone can help us uncover. What is Commonweal? You know, one of the most interesting things about Commonweal is that 40 years later, it's still hard to describe, you know? And, it part of, and that's part of the beauty of it, is that it appears in so many different ways to different people. It has different facets that people pick up depending on their place of entry. If you work in juvenile justice, you know David Steinhardt's work. If you work in marine conservation, you know Burr Hanneman's work. If you work in environmental health, you know Cheryl Patton's work and Elise Miller's work. You know, if you've been through the Cancer Help Program or know about it, you know the Cancer Help Program and healing circles and so forth. Um, if you come to new school events, you know the new school. So there's so many facets, you know, over a dozen different programs. I just uh, want to take a moment to just in, uh, as uh, uh, an example of how uh, we continue to grow uh, to tell you that um, we have a new program, our newest program, is uh, Angela Oh and Tu Yin Ming, whose uh, program, The Gift of Compassion, is, has been a fiscally sponsored program at Commonweal for, for some time. And after this last board meeting, it's become a new Commonweal project. And we are deeply proud of their work. Uh, tu is an incredibly gifted fine artist whose work was um, displayed here in the gallery. And Angela is one of the great justice advocates in the United States, and also a very gifted teacher of contemplative practice. And so the Gift of Compassion is a project based in Los Angeles that works with this, com this combination of contemplative practice and art and works with a wide range of communities, not only in Los Angeles, but uh, beyond. And so Angela and Tour, yet one more example of visionaries who found a home at Commonweal, and yet they have a very unique creative voice. And so, you know, we are honored and delighted that this is the newest Commonweal program, and we thank you both for being here today. So if we feel back, as, as Brother David Steindl Rast often says, he likes to feel back along the meaning of words. And if we feel back along the meaning of the word commonweal, it gives us a hint as to what commonweal is. Commonweal is an old English word that means the well-being of the community. That's what it means, the well-being of the community. It isn't any single facet of the community, it's the well-being of the community. And so, of course, we over time have developed these three areas uh, of our work. Now, um, health and healing, education and the arts, and environment and justice. And Oren spoke about the over a dozen programs in those areas. So, 
what specific community does commonweal refer to? Well, first of all, it refers to the community of those who we touch in some way, both in the United States and really around the world. Che has a Collaborative on Health and the Environment, Elise Miller's program, has 5,000 partners around the world that every day exchange dozens and dozens of emails debating how the environment is affecting human health. Um, uh, so many of our programs have that kind of outreach. The Regenerative Design Institute at the Commonwealth Garden, Rachel Remen's work, you know, many of our programs have that kind of global outreach. So they're those we touch. And then there's the community of communities with whom we work. So we are involved in multiple networks in all our different areas of other places, programs, and people around the world that we work jointly with on things that we could never do by ourselves. And the final meaning of, of community in the deepest sense is the community of life on earth. And so it is in the service of the community of life on earth that we work. Rachel once uh, approached the uh, great philosopher Gregory Bateson at a gathering. She didn't know him. And she said to, uh, she said to Bateson, and who are you? And he said, I am a friend of evolution. <laughs> so I would suggest that that's what the Commonweal community is. We are friends of evolution. In a fundamental way, we are friends of evolution. Of course, we have our story. I'm not sure our individual story as an organization matters that much, but since we're here, you know, it's, it's just one of tens of thousands of stories of centers and communities like ours around the world. It begins um, with a young man about 31 years old walking on Poplar Road in 1975 and looking out at this site from Poplar Road and having a very powerful vision. And, you know, as my friend Tom Sargent says, you know, it was actually cinematic. There was clouds and there was sun, you know, kind of trickling through the clouds. And then this shaft of light falls on this building, right? <laughs> Honest to God, that fell on this building. And I looked at this building and I was awestruck and I had this strong sense that we might create a healing center here. And it might be about healing ourselves and healing the earth. So I was living in Carolyn Brown's garage with uh, my girlfriend, Leslie Okoka, who became my first wife. And I walked in and Carolyn was uh, drying some dishes and we had already started Full Circle, the school for delinquent kids together a few years before that in Dogtown. And I told Carolyn about this and she was drying dishes. She had long brown hair. She was about uh, 35 at the time. And I remember she was drying a dish and she looked at me with these hazel eyes and she said, why don't we try it? And uh, it makes me cry. It makes me cry because strong women have always been my partners among many others. But in key periods of time, strong women have been my partners. Carolyn Brown, Rachel Remen, my wife, Charlotte Patton, Elise Miller. I could go on with all of those who have had the strength to... Um, to make these visions real. And um, so we did try it. And uh, Carolyn called Burr Hanneman because she knew we needed help. 
And the three of us got together. Steve Lerner joined us shortly thereafter. And we called up RCA. And I said, hi, I'm Dr. Lerner. I'd like to start a center on your land. Would you give it to me? And, <laughs> and they said, no, but they'd sell it to me. So I agreed to buy it for, I think it was $1.8 million, something like that, that we didn't have. And then, uh, and they agreed to sell it to us. And then... Um, Trust for Public Land decided that, hey, that really belonged in the national park. So we had a, a nice, vigorous conversation with Trust for Public Land, and it ended up that we got this 50-year lease on the land, and it went into the park, and that's how it began. So that was 75, and 76 is when it started. And, and we grew it up from 76 to 82. The early years, the Commonwealth Clinic, which focused on learning disabled kids, but also adults, Steve Lerner's Research Institute, the garden uh, with William Cambier and Avis Rappaport, uh, the work renovating the site with a staff of 40 people on Comprehensive Employment Training Act uh, salaries, a whole bunch of hippies, you know, just swarming over the site and fixing it up. And we had no clue what we were doing, or at least I had no clue what I was doing. Burr, Burr has a wonderful line about me and my plans. He says, you know, he began to early, figure out early on that when Michael said he had a plan, you know, it might change the next day. But in any case, there was a plan for that moment in time. And I think that, um, I think that that was not always a good approach. But the thing that, that was true of me was I would, and it's true to this day, I will put out a plan that sounds plausible, not in the belief that that's what we should actually do, but in the belief that others will say, no, wait, here's a better way to do it. And I'm totally okay with the fact that what we end up doing may be quite different, even diametrically opposed to what I thought we should do in the first place. So it's that sense of community that has been at the heart of this that it has never been about one person's vision or realization or anything else. It's been a constant process from the very start of partnership and community. So then in 1982, we lost all our funding. The place collapsed. I had to lay off 40 people. Uh, and um, including myself, and um, and you know, I it was just hanging by a thread, um, and it was at that point that, um, uh, or shortly thereafter, that uh, I met my wife Charles. I met Waz Thomas uh, at the Integral Yoga Institute, and uh, shortly thereafter, I the phone rang and I got a MacArthur Prize Fellowship, which suddenly this person who was hanging on by his fingernails at the edge of a cliff and Bolinas in a place that looked like it had failed, suddenly there were these people saying, uh, take another look. And so it was the fact that, uh, that funders decided to take another look that meant that the energy began to flow back and we rebuilt Commonweal on a new basis, and the new basis was that rather than having a sense that we were going to run a set of fixed programs that would go on forever, it was going to be uh, a place where, as Rachel has said, as Oren has said, where visionary people could come, and if they had the skills to find the resources, they could do their work with great freedom. And that's what it's been ever since. It's been a place where visionaries come to f and they need to find their resources 
and then they have the opportunity to do their work with great freedom. And that's not always easy. I don't want to say this is some kind of simple formula that, you know, uh, there's a lot of heartbreak that goes into that. You know, resources don't show up, you know, uh, people have to be laid off and so on. I also want to say here that we've talked about the program directors and their visionaries, but I want to say a word on behalf of the incredible staff who do the spreadsheets, who know how to do the finances, who know how to do all of the things that actually make these things happen. Because if you talk about community and partnership, a visionary without partners who know how to make a vision real doesn't go anywhere. And so I just want to thank every person on this staff who, is, who does the humble work and the quiet, invisible work of making this place real, because they are absolutely as important as anyone else. So it was in that rebuilding process that Waz Thomas showed up, Jennifer showed up, Rachel showed up, as she has described, my wife Cheryl showed up. And the years, uh, we started the Cancer Help Program around 1985, and the years from uh, 83 to 2003 were a period of rebuilding Commonwealth. So in 2003, I had a heart attack. It was not a bad heart attack, but it was a heart attack. And it became very clear that we needed to reinforce leadership at Commonweal. And so the third phase of Commonweal was uh, two remarkable executive directors, Charlotte Brody, for, two, for four years, which I estimate 2004 to 2008, and Susan Braun, which I estimate about 2009 to 2013. I'm not checking those dates. But each of them served here for four years, and each of them did extraordinary work and their gifts uh, in professionalizing Commonweal, in developing a professional staff, and in their uh, impact on program was extraordinary. After Susan left, um, I did some deep thinking about the nature of leadership moving forward from there. And um, that was the time uh, when I began uh, conversations with Oren Slosberg and with Arlene Alsman and Vanessa Marcotte. And uh, I had a real sense that there was a great deal to be said uh, for working with two uh, gifted young mothers who had homes in Bolinas and children in the school system, and they were not going anywhere. <laughs> and so, uh, so I asked them both to take on a lot more responsibility. Susan Braun had done a great job in helping them prepare for this. And so, as Oren said, uh, Arlene and Vanessa have been really central to uh, our leadership team. And finding Oren was an incredible gift. And he and I talked for, I think, a year and a half, at least a year, about how we might work together. And, uh, and we picked the title, uh, though it doesn't begin to do him justice, Chief Strategy Officer. But what Oren is really doing is not only looking ahead at the next 40 years, but he's doing something else that's tremendously important. And that is that justice has been part of Commonweal's work from its inception. But we were a grassroots organization living in a largely white community in Bolinas 
And the pool of people that we could hire were largely white. And so we were a largely white work community uh, doing work in justice, in health and healing, education, the arts, and environment and justice. So one of the things that Oren set out to do from the start was to build real diversity into Commonweal programs. And so that is happening, and it is happening in a very strong way. And there are many manifestations of that, but one of them is the Power of Hope summer camps. We just did our second Power of Hope summer camp. These are incredibly diverse uh, groups of young people with millennial counselors who are equally diverse, both in ethnicity, in income uh, uh, you know, disparities, and also in gender orientation. And these, these Power of Hope camps have the same transformative power as the Commonweal Cancer Help Program. And so it is very deeply reflective of what we've done. It goes back to our origins in work with at-risk young people. And it is very deeply reflective of our, the Cancer Help Program and deep healing work. It is also deeply involved with our healing and arts work and so forth. So um, with that work, with the millennials work that Oren is doing, with visual thinking strategies, which he brought to Commonweal, which touches, you know, many, many children across the country and around the world, and which he ran for 10 years before he brought it to Commonweal. So there is a reality and a commitment that we're not only a community committed to justice in a very profound way, but we are going to reflect the communities that we serve. And you will see that as a fierce intention of Commonweal in the decade to come. You will see rooms that are no longer as white as this room is today. And you will see more and more in the staff and on the boards. And um, it is something that um, it is happening already, and you can count on it. So that is a profound intention. I also want to say a word about the new school. The new school, which Kira Epstein so ably coordinates, as well as doing our communications, is the most fun that I have at Commonweal. Uh, uh, Eric Karpolis, some of you know, is one of our uh, interlocutors too. Steve Heilig, who is here today, is one. And Erwin Keller is another, uh, Oren's husband, who is now doing wonderful programs up in Katadi. Just did one with Holly Near and is doing one with a Muslim colleague called The Muslim Next Door in a little while. And Erwin has a tremendous gift for doing these things. In fact, he's attracting many more people to his sessions than I do to mine. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's spreading, it's growing in this organic way that Commonwealth programs uh, spread. And, you know, the new school is about real education. It's not education in order to get a credential. It's not education in order to, you know, pass something. It's education looking at the great questions, which are the questions that Rachel's asked for the last 30 years. But questions like, do we have a soul? Does the soul survive death? Is the universe alive? Do we have a purpose? Does humanity have a purpose? How do we live in these times? What is art? You know, questions like that. It's the questions that we actually live with. And it's a 
adult collaborative learning community where we get to ask those questions together. And it's just so much fun. I mean, it's just such a joy. We work on a lot of heavy stuff, you know, but it's such a joy to have the new school as part of what we do. So how does Commonweal actually work? You know, there's collaborative servant leadership of the four of us, Oren, Arlene, Vanessa, and myself, who basically support the program directors. So the real leaders of Commonweal are the program directors. And the program directors, as I've said, need to find their resources and they have freedom to do what they want. What are the values that underline, underlie Commonweal's work? I've talked about them already. They are those three yogas of the Bhagavad Gita. There's kindness, which is the yoga of love, skillfulness or fairness, which is the yoga of wisdom, and dedication, which is karma yoga or the yoga of service. And these are the great yogas of the heart, the head, and the hands, which you find in all the traditions. So where are we going? We hope and intend to serve for many years to come. We really do hope that. We tend not to focus on the 10-year, 15-year, 20-year, 40-year you know, uh, timelines. We focus practically on what's in front of us right now and with visions that guide us, like a commitment to diversity, a commitment to justice, a commitment to healing, to education, and our, 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 those parts of our mission. We focus on the work that is before us right now. But let me say something about the work that is before us right now. In less than 50 days, the United States is going to make a decision that will shape the context of our work for many years to come. And we do not know what the outcome of that decision will be. But we do know this. Whatever the outcome of that decision, we will be here doing the work, shaped by events, shifting our tactics and sometimes our strategies as events require. But the thread, the underlying thread, we never let go of. So we're able to face lots of things that cause more distress in other organizations with less fear, less anxiety, and a kind of serenity and courage that we will know when the time comes what we need to do. We will find guidance. The people that we need to do the work will continue to show up. And it's that sense that this life is far too precious to lead it in anxiety and fear and woe is me and woe is us about what may happen. But rather to say, you know, we can't control what happens. We can do everything we can to direct events in the direction that we care about. But if the universe gives us really hard times to deal with, that's why we're here. We're here for hard times. We are heavy weather sailors. We've been heavy weather sailors from the start. And so when the heavy weather shows up, we are neither frightened nor disturbed. We just know that we were born for these times. We were put here for these times. And we will continue to serve 
for as long as we have strength and breath to do that. So the way to face those challenges is with courage of heart, peace of mind, and dedication of service. We'll work together, we'll heal together, we'll care for the earth together, we'll care for each other, we'll serve together, and we'll remember three simple things. We're here to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly in service to the community of life on earth. Thank you for being here, and bless you all. We could not do this without you. And we're so grateful that you came to celebrate these 40 years with us. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Reflections from Commonweal's 40th Anniversary Celebration. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.